Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 263 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, How I Keep Learning, My Five Hot Tips. Last weekend, I had the pleasure of addressing a group of postgraduate executive MBA students from my Australian alma mater, QUT. They were visiting Boston for two weeks of immersion at the Sloan School of Management at MIT, which is considered to be one of the leading business schools in the world. In fact, Sloan was recently ranked number three in CEO World's Global Business School rankings, 
just ahead of my US alma mater, Harvard Business School. As I spoke to this group of high achievers about my career journey, my educational choices, and what I considered to be the determinants of my modest success to date, it gave me pause for reflection. If I really distilled the key things that have helped me to grow rapidly over the years, what would they be? I've often said that leaders are learners, but you could spend a lot of time these days consuming information without getting traction. And by traction, I mean gaining the wisdom and insight that would differentiate you as a leader. And look, although I wouldn't recommend to anyone that they try to emulate my career path, by the same token, I think I've managed to maximise the potential of my learning opportunities pretty well over the years. These learnings made me better. And I guess that's really the only yardstick you can use. What's the relative improvement in you? It's not about anyone else. It's about taking responsibility for becoming better over time. If you're a leader, your people's welfare will actually depend on it. Today's episode's pretty simple. I'll start with a quick word on how to put your learning into the right context. And then I'm going to give you my five hot tips for maximizing your learning opportunities. So let's get into it. I want to start with a reminder of something I say fairly often. If this is the first time you've heard it, please have a think about it and take it to heart. Knowledge is a commodity. Any learning you do is only useful insofar as it helps you to be better. This requires interpretation and integration of any knowledge that you happen to acquire. For example, you can read every book on parenting that's ever been written, but if you don't understand how to take those learnings, adapt them to your situation and actually use them to become a better parent, you may as well have spent that time watching reruns of Seinfeld. At least that might improve your mood. Any learning you undertake, whether formal or informal, needs to be applied for some ultimate end. Now, This principle of the ends versus the means crops up all the time in leadership. At the centre of the no-bullshit leadership framework is value. It's not enough to do something with the hope that it will result in a positive outcome somewhere down the track. Before you invest any resources into any activity, it's critical that you understand two things. When will I see the value delivered from this effort? And where will this value appear? An example I use fairly frequently is modifying and upgrading processes and procedures in large organisations. Many larger businesses spend an inordinate amount of time, energy and focus on improving their processes. But what value does that actually create? How would you know if that effort has been worthwhile? Where will the results show up? Will it reduce your risk? If so, by how much? Will it have a tangible impact on your cost base or profitability? In the types of industrial businesses I led, I was always very mindful of this in terms of safety procedures. Now, as I said, you could spend a lot of time, effort and money fine-tuning the safety procedures to within an inch of their lives. But if the outcome of that work isn't either reducing the number of injuries or experiencing fewer incidents, then you may as well have used those resources to paint the rocks in the yard. Now, let's apply this principle to your own education and learning. You need to be quite deliberate about what you consume and what you're going to do with the information once you have it. It's so easy just to wait for the media feed, either traditional or social media, to direct your attention and tell you what information you should consume at any given point. It's lazy and it's dangerous, and we all do it. 
but my tips that follow are going to reveal how I direct my learning so that I'm choosing it, rather than having it chosen for me. A big part of this process is the constant awareness of how I can use the information I'm consuming to improve my performance, whether it's as a leader, a business owner, a husband, a father, whatever. We are so inundated with information these days that we need a plan for what to consume and what to do with that knowledge once we have. It's easy to say, I'm a curious leader who's constantly learning. But it's much harder to execute this intent in a way that maximises the limited time you have when you're trying to absorb an endless stream of information. Okay, today I have five hot tips for maximising your learning opportunities. Tip number one, plan your big chunks of career learning. I've observed many leaders over the years who've simply failed to realise that to achieve mastery in anything requires dedicated focus, effort and education. Mastery won't somehow magically come your way through osmosis. And look, it stands to reason that this would be the case. If you want to master anything from leadership to pickleball, you need to focus on learning and then applying that learning to the practical environment you need to perform in. Now, the big tip here is you'd be well served to think about your whole career the same way you thought about the start of your career. For the most part, you wouldn't just come out of high school and expect to become a financial analyst in a bank without going through some fairly intensive training or become uh, an electrical tradesman without undertaking an apprenticeship. But despite the fact that the nature of our role might change several times throughout our career, we just don't seem to apply the same effort as we did in our original discipline. Many of us start out by attaining four-year degrees, and then we add a postgraduate master's on top to boot. Still, when we move from, say, a finance role to an operations role, there's often little formal learning or training. We're meant to just pick it up on the job. And the most common case of transitioning from an individual contributor role to a leadership role often occurs with little training, and the boss is often too busy to lead us through the transition. So, you know, we muddle through doing what we think needs to be done without any conscious effort to acquire, and more importantly to apply, the leadership tools, techniques and methods that would really make a difference. To have a successful career, you need to master the basics of business, finance and economics in the context of your technical discipline. This is the foundation of your competence in any role. But you also need to develop leadership skills if you intend to have anyone else reporting to you during the length of your career. So when I say my first tip is to plan your big chunks of learning, I approach that challenge in the following way. After dropping out of law school in the early 80s, I had to change tack quickly. So I studied a diploma in software development to get my ticket to play. It wasn't a four-year degree, but it was enough to get me in. When I decided to transition from my background in technology to broader business-focused roles, I decided to study an MBA, which I attained in 2003 during my first big executive role. When I wanted to reach the rarefied era of C-suite roles and really drive additional value for the companies I worked for, I took the advanced management program at Harvard Business School in 2007. And just before my first CEO role, I graduated from the Australian Institute of Company Directors with a company director's diploma. Now, mind you, I had no interest in actually being a non-executive director, and I still don't to this day. But I needed to know how the board worked, what its focus should be, 
and how to manage those relationships from the CEO's office. In summary, my big chunks were a technical qualification in 1985, an MBA in 2003, the shot of business acumen steroids from Harvard Business School in 2007, and the company director's diploma in 2012. All the other learning I undertook was built around those pillars. But none of these gave me even a fraction of the practical leadership tools that I'd discovered through my own practical experience. And when I scoured the market, there was nothing that looked like it would develop my leadership beyond what I'd already learned, which is why Em and I decided to create our own program, Leadership Beyond the Theory. Tip number two, establish your critical areas of development. Once you've thought about what big chunks you might need to sustain your development, the next step is to consider what ongoing capabilities you need to integrate with those. Now let's think of this using the metaphor of filling up a jar with rocks. The biggest rocks, which we've just covered, the MBAs and other formal education, go in first. Now it might look like those big rocks have filled the jar because they reach the very top, but there's still plenty of empty space inside. So this next part is about adding smaller rocks and gravel. This is essential if you want to fill your jar with wisdom and insight. Now, for me, what this meant was keeping up with ever-changing business trends, understanding the dynamics of the industry my company was competing in, becoming more knowledgeable about things like macroeconomics and how businesses interface with government policy and global trade. I also had some hobby interests in a few other things that I think just made me, you know, a more rounded person. So behavioural psychology, um, exercise physiology, body chemistry, human endurance. And my favourite, high performance, in as many contexts as I could find it written about. I took a pretty disciplined approach to this process. The first thing I set out to do was to find the most credible sources of information I possibly could. So of course, I read all the standard books. But when I say credible, I had a few criteria. Most of all, it had to be relatively independent, so that it at least attempted to provide a balanced view of issues. There's a really cool website called MediaBiasFactCheck.com. We'll leave a link in the show notes. It rates both publication and broadcast media based on how factual the reporting is, which way the bias leans, left or right, and even provides a credibility rating. My preference is to read stuff around the centre-right and centre-left. I mean, let's face it, I get enough batshit crazy stuff on the extremes at either end through my Twitter feed. So, my subscriptions include The Economist, which I've subscribed to for over 20 years. I know that every article that's published in those pages at least strives to provide a high-quality balanced commentary. But I'm also acutely aware of the nature of the newspaper. It's socially liberal and it's economically conservative. It's a huge proponent of free trade and it extols the economic benefits of globalisation. But it's also progressive on social issues where there's a base of credible evidence and research. So when we look at our friend, Media Bias Fact Checks, The Economist is rated as least biased, factual reporting is rated as high, and the credibility rating is high. That's good to know because it's probably my baseline go-to information source. But my other subs include Harvard Business Review, which I love even more since the editors recently chose to publish one of my articles in their fall special issue on decision-making. I subscribe to The Wall Street Journal. The Australian Financial Review, The Atlantic, Fast Company, Business Insider, Washington Post, and the McKinsey Quarterly. 
Now add to this a few of my favourite sporting reads, and there's not enough hours in the day to consume everything. So like most of you probably do, I rely on alerts. I set them up, and I get pinged every day with the critical stories so that I can cherry-pick what I want to read, depending on my mood, the criticality of the information, and its intrinsic value. My big tip here is to set up the alerts as a filter and follow the breadcrumbs to the information that's most useful to you at any given point in time. This is going to put a bunch of small rocks and gravel into your jar. Tip number three, run low-cost learning experiments. There is so much free, readily accessible content these days, it's just hard to know where to start. This is the sand that's going to fill the rest of your jar where the rocks and gravel have left some room. Now, I make it a point of sampling loads of podcasts. But as I found out, some podcasts that look incredibly interesting on face value only captured my attention for 10 minutes, and I promptly deleted them from my library. Others, which I stumbled upon quite by accident, have become staples in my weekly listening. The point is, it's so easy these days to scan the horizon for content on pretty much anything you could ever want to know. So just treat it like an interesting experiment. Sample everything, with the attitude that you aren't obliged to commit to anything. You'll find all sorts of useful information that you didn't know you needed. But sometimes, it just ends up putting a critical piece of the jigsaw puzzle in place for you. Tip number four, go out of your way to engage with people that you wouldn't naturally come into contact with. This is so vital in your quest to develop broader perspective. Travel is obviously a great way to experience this, but you don't actually need to go very far afield to find people with different experiences, different cultural backgrounds and ethnicity, diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, and of course, people who've been brought up in different locations. I've learned over the last few years that the USA truly is 50 unique states. Some are very different from others. But even the differences in attitudes, beliefs and values between someone who was raised in a big city environment, as I was, and someone who was raised in a small town or rural area, can be extraordinary. Because there's just so much information available now, ignorance is less about lack of exposure to information and more about exposure to only one source of information. Ignorance is now a symptom of insularity, not neglect. So try to find ways to expand the breadth of information you consume rather than trying to go deeper all the time on the things you already know. This mimics the natural flow of your career. You start out as an expert and your focus is an inch wide and a mile deep. But as you move up to more senior roles, you eventually have to live in the world where you're a mile wide and only an inch deep. Finally, tip number five. Link learning to outcomes. Now, this is probably the most critical element of trying to integrate any knowledge. This is the rinse and repeat cycle. Any knowledge you acquire has to be applied in some way, otherwise it's largely wasted. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the first step is to apply what you've learned. Now, look, this is something that very few people do well. They gain knowledge and they increase their understanding, but then they don't know how to apply it. So they keep doing exactly what they did before the new information was absorbed. Just think for a moment about the worst leader you've ever worked for. 
I can almost guarantee that if you ask them to describe their leadership approach, they would be able to wax lyrical on their cutting-edge, high-performance leadership philosophy, which they employ every day to lead their team to victory. Except they don't. The gap between what leaders think they do, based on what they know, compared to the reality of their actions, is sometimes a cavernous gap. But even for those leaders who do commit to changing their habits and developing the leadership disciplines that will actually make a difference, they often don't question whether what they're doing is working optimally. A Harvard Business School academic by the name of Chris Argerus described the principle of double-loop learning back in the 1970s. And this takes the normal single loop of learning, solve a problem, make a decision, and implement the solution, and it expands it to provide a second loop of observation and modification. Some problems arise as a byproduct of the solution itself. So it's critical to monitor the outcomes from any decision you implement and then go back to examine the mental model as you learn from experience. As Argerus explained, a thermostat that automatically turns on the heat whenever the temperature in a room drops below 69 degrees Fahrenheit is a good example of single-loop learning. But a thermostat that could ask, why am I set to 69 degrees Fahrenheit, and then explore whether or not some other temperature might be a more economical way to achieve that goal, in other words, heating the room, then that would be double-loop learning. And even though he made that observation in the 1970s, it's a very timely one, given that we're now in the dawn of artificial intelligence. So, from the perspective of your career, as you take on more and more information and sort through it to work out which pieces you're going to choose to integrate into your leadership repertoire, don't just implement and then keep moving. Always come back and ask yourself the questions. Is this giving me the results I expected? How could I improve this? Is there a better way to achieve the same result? This double-loop learning approach will improve your ability to get true value from the effort you put into acquiring the knowledge you need, and your chances of long-term success will increase tenfold. These five tips for maximising continuous learning can each be regulated so that you put more or less effort into each one of them at any given point, depending on your current circumstances. For those of you who are trying to fill your jars with gravel and sand, make sure you've got the big rocks in place first. It's much harder to get those into the jar once it's full of gravel. I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that leadership beyond the theory is the big rock that you need for your leadership career. So, if you're ready to get serious, the cohort starts next Monday, 18th of September. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 263. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please make sure you hit the subscribe button and leave a rating. If you really love the podcast and you're listening on Apple, a review would be even better. I look forward to next week's episode, Autonomy versus Control, Getting the Balance Right. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.